Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to ghostwritersandco.com for more information. That's ghostwritersandco.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello, and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host, Joel Mark Harris. And today we interview Liz Green, who is a book coach, uh, formerly a ghost writer. Uh, we talk about her pathway from, uh, she was a journalist, worked in PR, event planning, and then became a ghost writer. Uh, so we have a great conversation. This is good for people who uh, want to write a book, but also people who are interested in, in entrepreneurship. We have uh, lots of useful tips and information to share today. So without further ado, here is Liz Green. Welcome to the show, Liz. It's great having you. Thanks for having me, John. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> So there's a lot of places I want to start, but I think perhaps um, you can first describe what a book coach is and what do they do? Yeah, that's a really good question because not everyone has heard of a book coach. People tend to have heard of uh, editors and maybe agents in the publishing industry, but book coach isn't such a familiar term. And it's really been born out of this publishing situation where there's more and more pressure on publishers to make money obviously all the time Uh, budgets are getting smaller and editors at publishing houses are having less and less time to spend with authors on crafting the book and getting it ready before it goes into the publishing process so back in the day um, a publisher would have an editor who might spend ages working with you on your manuscript and they'd be happy to take on your book when it was kind of 70% of the way there because they knew they could spend some time with you crafting it and getting it the rest of the way there. These days, they don't have that time. We've also got a lot more people self-publishing, so they don't have an editor who's going to work with them anyway, so they've got to get it as good as possible on their own. And that's where a book coach can come in. They can work with you during the actual writing process to plan the book to figure out what it's going to say, to help you with the writing, uh, the words on the page, but also the head game of writing, where you suddenly find yourself procrastinating and having to do all the laundry in your house instead of writing. Um, I know that very well. Feeling. Your, right? We yeah. all, every time I say that, people nod along because we all know that feeling. And it sucks when you're on your own and you really want to do this writing thing, but for some reason you just can't sit down and get the words out. And so a book coach can talk you through that, help you figure out what's going on, get you over those roadblocks so you can actually get to the end of the book and know that it's the best book you could possibly write. And then when you move on to publishing, your book is, it really is the best book you're capable of writing. And that that is a wonderful feeling to know that you've put everything behind something and it's, you didn't just reach the end, but you gave it everything. And um, so book coaches are invaluable in helping with that. So for people who are either watching this or listening to this and they're like, that's, you know, this is a great idea. I've never heard of this before. When should they think about hiring a book coach? Is it at the very start before they even, you know, they have a concept maybe and, and maybe an outline, should they start, um, should they hire a book coach then or should they uh, hire a book coach when they're like, oh, yeah, laundry actually sounds pretty appealing right about now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another great question, because when we think of editors, we think about writing the book first and then sending it off to an editor who can show you where all your things have gone wrong. And then you get it back and you rework it with a book coach. You can. Um, address those issues as you're going along so that you don't end up veering way off the path that you intended to follow and you don't even realize until you've written 80,000 words 
and then somebody tells you, oh, way back in chapter two, you kind of did this weird thing and you're like, well, brilliant. Now I got to rewrite 60,000 words. Awesome. Or they tell you, oh, throughout this entire book, you've got this weird writing habit where you do this thing over and over again and you've got to fix it a hundred thousand times throughout the writing. That's really demoralizing. It feels really bad to get your edits back from an editor and be like, well, great, this just sucks. So I encourage people to work with a book coach as early in the process as possible. And a lot of people I work with haven't written a word yet. They just have an idea. They've got this idea usually that's been bouncing around their head for years. They've been thinking, they've always wanted to write a book. They've been thinking about this forever. They just don't know where to start. Or maybe they've written a few words and they've thought, well, this is rubbish. And, <laughs> and or they get tripped up or they, so I, I like to work with people who are early in the process because then we can do it right from the outset and we can make sure you're actually writing what you really want to get across. But people come to me at all stages and it's never too late to bring on a book coach because when you do feel that laundry calling and the um, procrastination rising up and you're just stuck in a rut, it doesn't have to be so hard. You can bring in some help and get out of that rut. You don't need to stay there, but it's really hard to get out of that place on your own. So as early as possible is a great time to bring in a book coach. Um, but wherever you are in the process, you can get help. You don't need to stay stuck. Yeah, I definitely find myself nodding to a lot of those situations. <laughs> like my first book, especially, I, I, um, you know, I, I just did it myself. Like, you know, I guess a lot of people do. And I submitted it to the, to the editor and they're like, no, you have to rewrite the entire thing and, and completely change mm. the plot and all the characters. And that, I just remember feeling like a hole in my stomach because I was like, yeah. you know, it was a good, like, I think it was a year and a half of work pretty much down, you know, down the tube. And so yeah. I can imagine a book, if I had somebody like yourself, a book coach who's like, no, stop right there. You know, it would have saved me not only a lot of time, but a lot of grief for sure. Yeah. So I'm sure you can, you can help with that. Oh yeah, definitely. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I was reading your website and I love, you know, I love your website, um, but something mm -hmm. that particularly struck me was uh, the fact that you mentioned your grandmother and how you and your grandmother went skiing. And I feel like there's some really great stories because your, your grandmother sounds like a pretty awesome person. So I, would, I just want to give you the opportunity, opportunity to talk a little bit about your grandmother and, and how that love of skiing came about. Oh, yeah. My grandma is awesome. Um, my grandma, so I'm from England originally. My grandma is English as well. And she learned to ski as an older teenager when she was a nanny for um, a family who would take her along on ski holidays. And then fast forward through to when she had her own children and my uncle, her son, loved to ski. My other uncle and my mum hated it, didn't care for it. And my grandpa couldn't stand it. I remember once grandpa stood on a pair of skis, clipped both feet in, stood there, looked around and said, no, I'm going to the pub. <laughs> Unclipped, didn't even go up the chairlift. And that was him done. So grandma had my one uh, uncle to ski with. Unfortunately, he passed away when he was in his 20s. And um, then over the years, so she had no one to ski with until her grandchildren were born. And she insisted on taking us on skiing holidays without my mum, because mum hates skiing. Uh, just to have someone to keep her company, I think. Just a good excuse to go, um, to go skiing. She'd take the grandkids along. So grandma used to take us on these really special holidays to France, Italy, Austria. And um, it was great bonding time. We got to feel super special. And uh, I hated skiing as a child. <laughs> grandma would take me on these super special holidays and I didn't like them. One year, I pretended I had an ankle injury so I wouldn't have to ski in the race at the end of the week. <laughs> but I loved spending time with grandma and lo and behold, as an adult, I uh, decided to go and give it another try. And I 
fell in love with skiing. I worked in ski resorts in France, Austria, New Zealand, and Canada. And that's how I ended up living in Canada now. I came out to do one ski season here and stayed. And it's now been 12 years. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty common story. Have you always enjoyed writing and has uh, writing always, did you always want to use your writing as a profession? That's a really interesting question. I remember being about 14 and a family friend of ours had written a book. And I remember saying to my mom, that's so cool that he wrote this book. And she said, yeah, he used a ghostwriter. I said, what's that? And she said, oh, it's, well, he's not very good at writing himself, but he had this really cool story to share, a true story about his experiences. So he hired someone to help him write the story so that it actually sounded good. And I thought, oh, so writers don't have to come up with all the ideas on their own. They can write other people's ideas. That's interesting because I loved the idea of writing, but I thought I had nothing to say. I had no ideas. I, what would I write about? What would I say? No one cares what I have to think. That's, that was what I thought. So that was my first introduction to the idea that you could write without having to be this wonderful source of imagination and be C.S. Lewis or Roald Dahl or someone like that, um, which I didn't feel like I was at all. Um, as I finished my schooling, I studied English. I decided to do a postgraduate degree in journalism. I didn't think writing novels was the way, was a real career for somebody like me. I didn't think I had the imagination for it. That was for these mythical people who were demigods. Um, so I followed um, the path into journalism, which eventually took me into public relations and eventually into editing, ghostwriting, book coaching and so on. But it wasn't a straightforward path for me. I didn't automatically think that I could do it. I was looking for a way into writing that didn't require me to be one of those brilliant novelists. Can you talk a little bit about your uh, time as a journalist? Did, did you, I assume that you wrote for <laughs> newspapers and, and all that? It was a short time. <laughs> I'm going to say that up front. My journalism career was very short-lived. You're right. I worked for newspapers. Back in those days, uh, online journalism was not really a thing, or it was starting to be a thing, but it wasn't respected in any way. I, um, my postgraduate degree was in newspaper journalism because that was considered the only respectable journalism back then. I qualified as a journalist um, in the UK. Um, there's a pretty straightforward career path. You have to have a particular qualification to get an interview with any kind of editor. So I followed that path and I got my first job as an editor at a regional newspaper. And I was sat in the, the bullpen you know, the main open plan office. And it was in my first week there and I was just finding my feet and I had stacks of papers on my desk about school fire drills and country fairs and, you know, all the, the rubbish that you get assigned when you're the, the new kid on the block. And an ambulance went soaring past the office window and we were in a downtown area that was pedestrianized. No vehicles were allowed on those streets. And the editor came bumbling out of his office, knocking over stacks of paper as he went. And he screamed, Liz, Liz, go chase that ambulance. And I said, what? He said, go chase the ambulance. Get the story. We need the story. I was like, you literally want me to chase an ambulance? He said, yes, and get a photo. Do not come back without a photo. And I thought, oh my God, he wants me to take a photo of someone who is dying or something. So I went out of the office and I uh, unfortunately could not get past the police tape by the time I found the ambulance. Didn't really try that hard, to be honest. But that was the moment where I thought, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm not cut out for journalism. I don't, I want to write, but I don't want to hunt down the story and chase ambulances. And that was, I stuck it out for a bit longer, but that was when I knew that I couldn't continue in journalism and I would have to find some other way to write. I think that's brilliant. You're literally an ambulance chaser. <laughs> literally, yeah. it was awful. 
So you went into PR and then you made a jump into, I think it was sales for a convention center. Can you talk a little bit about that transition and why you decided to make that jump? Mm, it's a good question because it's kind of random. So I got a job in public relations for ski resorts in Banff, Canada. And I was feeling unfulfilled. I felt like all I was doing was writing stuff to make rich ski resort owners more money. And there's nothing wrong with those ski resort owners. They're good guys, perfectly entitled to make money. But I didn't feel like I was doing anything that contributed to any good in the world. All I was doing was churning out stories and press releases that just help keep this machine ticking over. And I didn't feel very fulfilled. And so with that going on in the background, in my personal life, I got engaged to an awesome Canadian guy. Uh, we got married and I loved planning the wedding. I had so much fun. We got married on top of a ski hill. We skied down with all of our wedding party. Nice. It was a lot of fun. And I thought, well, maybe I, I need a change. I'm not satisfied in public relations. Maybe I'll do event planning. And maybe that'll be good. I can help people have wonderful experiences. And so I was motivated by wedding planning, but I ended up working in conference planning, which is kind of more satisfying, actually. It's a lot more intricate. And um, so I did conference planning for a few years, and but I still wasn't, it didn't scratch that itch for me. I was still part of a machine making more money, this time for hotel owners and conference uh, event owners. And it still didn't, it kept me busy. It paid the bills. I was pretty, I was enjoying that I was able to do something I was good at, but it didn't feel like anything that mattered. And that was when I got sick and I had a minor medical procedure, no big deal. And they said to me, you can expect to be in pain for a couple of weeks after this. Just take it easy. Take some pain over the counter painkillers. So I did. And the pain never went away. And I stayed in pain and I essentially developed a chronic pain condition. There was some nerve damage when they did the procedure and I, I was in pain, had a lot of doctor's appointments, I couldn't work. And I had to go on sick leave from my conference planning job. And it was really kind of a rock bottom time for me because I did enjoy working, even though the work wasn't super fulfilling, I really enjoyed having goals and going after this stuff and doing things couldn't do that anymore didn't know what to do with myself and was pretty bummed out about life for a while um and it forced me eventually i thought you know what i gotta do something to keep my brain busy can't do conference planning i'm not up to it i don't have the stamina for it and i thought well i can write blog posts i had a friend who was a wedding planner i said uh can I write a blog post for you for free um, just to see if I can write blog posts for people? And she said, oh, I just got back from a conference where they were talking about how important blogs are for building your business. Could I hire you to write a blog for me every week? I was like, well, sure. I can do that in bed in my pajamas when I'm not feeling very well. And uh, yeah, you, you could definitely pay me. <laughs> and uh, so I started writing for her and I didn't realize what I was doing at the time was ghost writing. I was writing in her voice, in her style, using her words and her lingo and to share her stories, which is what ghost writing is. So I was writing blogs and then she recommended me to another friend, a wedding photographer who recommended me to another friend. And before you knew it, I had my own business where I could run it while I was working on getting better. Thankfully now I am a lot better. Um, I was able to do it while I was working on that. I was writing and <laughs> I still didn't have any ideas of my own, but I was helping other people talk about the awesome stuff they were doing. So that was fun. And I started to find my groove again. I still wasn't doing anything particularly meaningful, but it was writing and it was earning me money and it was enjoyable and I could do it without just feeling like I was part of another machine again. Can you talk about how 
um, your job as a conference planner was really part of your identity and how, you know, like after not being able to do that job, you kind of felt, um, and maybe I'm, you know, putting words in your mouth, but um, just tell me about that time when you were like really not sure about what what to do and you felt a little bit, um, I guess, at loss maybe. It was a really hard time. And I didn't realize until then that I had put all of my identity into my career. And it wasn't even a stellar career. <laughs> I mean, I was doing all right. I was earning fine money and I was keeping busy and I was had a steady job in Banff, which is a difficult place to find good work because it's a you know very popular tourist town. So I was doing okay, but I had put everything that I knew about myself into this career identity. So I was somebody who could show up and get the job done. I was somebody who was working her way up the corporate ladder. I had got promotions. I'd got title improvements. This was the track I was on. And I didn't realize until it was taken away, until I couldn't do it anymore, how much of myself I had put into this thing that I didn't even really care about that much. And that was a bit of a shock. I didn't know who I was if I wasn't working. I mean, yeah, I was, you know, a wife. I was a skier, not very good skier. <laughs> I was somebody who loved the mountains. I loved living in Banff. I loved hiking. You know, I had these things that I loved. But nothing really felt like that was me. And I, I realized that, yeah, I put everything into this career that wasn't even that awesome anyway. And I was left kind of scrambling to figure out who I was, what I was without that. And it was so, it's so interesting because I never wanted to have my own business. I never wanted to be self-employed. I came to it out of necessity, out of needing to work, but not being able to show up reliably for a nine to five or having to work around doctor's appointments. So I really came to it out of necessity, but what it's taught me over the years is that I am capable of molding my own future. I always before assumed that you had to figure out the best with what was available. And now I realize that what is available is actually a lot broader than you usually think. So I was able to make this career, make my business work once I broadened my perspective of what I could do before I'd been kind of narrowly looking at this career path and this is how you make money. This is how you grow up, take the steps up the career ladder and all of the rest of it. And it wasn't until that was stripped away that I realized that actually you can do a lot more than you think. You think you can't be an author. Well, that's because you haven't done it before. Maybe you can. Other people have done it. For me, other people have run their own business while having chronic health conditions. And that was actually one of the big motivators was I discovered another business owner who had a chronic health condition and was making it work anyway. And so I love, this is why I tell all of my authors to read other people in their genre. When you can see other people who have done it, it makes you realize that, hey, maybe I can do that as well. When you realize that these authors who you love aren't, didn't spontaneously appear as best-selling authors, they have histories and backgrounds where they were waitresses and, you know, or, you know, full-time parents or whatever. And they were normal people before they became a best-selling author. And you can see, once you can see these examples of other people who have done it before you, it broadens your perspective and encourages you to do it yourself. Yes, I can definitely relate to that. And I'm sure a lot of people can as well. I'm curious, would you ever consider going back to a traditional job, a nine to five after experience entrepreneurship? I think I'd be unemployable, to be honest. <laughs> I, think, um, I think that I, my tolerance for BS has plummeted <laughs> now that I work for myself and I get to choose my clients and you know, you don't always know what someone's going to be like when you go into working with them, but I can choose to continue that working relationship or not. 
Um, I, it isn't, or I used to think that being self-employed was the best thing in the world and it's for absolutely everyone. It's not for everyone. It's hard. It's, you have to be okay with uncertainty, with not necessarily knowing where the money is coming from next month, two months time and six months time. You have to be okay with a lot of uncertainty with making all the decisions all the time. Sometimes that's exhausting, but I wouldn't go back. No, I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I don't think anyone would have me. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the same way. There's definitely times where I'm like, oh, you know, those those rough days where you're like, oh, I should just go back and, and you know, have, uh, you know, vacation time and, and be off at five o'clock. That sounds amazing, right? But yeah. ultimately, you know, it's not something I want to do. And I think, yeah, once you, you know, a lot of people who, taste the entrepreneur life they're like nope can't go back yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, so after your health scare you started green goose writing and so i'm curious obviously i know where the green comes from but your husband also has a uh, i think it's a construction firm that's green goose construction so obviously yeah. there's a meaning behind this and then <laughs> i'd like to dive into that if I may. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I get asked this all the time. So green is because my last name is green, Liz Green. And um, the goose comes from uh, an amalgamation of myself and my husband. So I'm English. Uh, a traditional English bird is the goose. Uh, you know, back in the day, people used to have geese at Christmas, although turkey is more common now. Um, you're so, my husband is Canadian and there's the Canada goose. So we liked it as something that represented both our nationalities and we just thought it sounded good. <laughs> so yeah, my husband has Green Goose Renovations and Construction. I have Green Goose Writing. We live on a small acreage called Green Goose Acres and uh, that is our little, little empire. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your your time ghostwriting and how you built up your business through ghostwriting? Mm, I started, you know, when I was doing all that blogging and writing blogs for people, I was enjoying the writing, still not feeling particularly fulfilled though. I started to work as a virtual assistant for an editor, somebody whose podcast I listened to all the time and she was looking for some help. And I thought, yeah, I could do that. So I started um, assisting her in her business. And eventually after a few years, she had a client who had come to her for editing work. But his book was rough. It, was, it, was in the, it wasn't quite ready for editing, which is fine. We all go through those phases. But she said to me, hey, I know you like writing. I know you're really good at writing in other people's voices and picking up on what it is they're really trying to say when they're kind of wandering all over the place. Would you mind working with this writer and seeing if you can ghostwrite parts of the book to bring it together and get it ready to, for the editing stage? And I was thrilled. I had so much fun doing that. And that was when I was reminded about that childhood moment when I was 14. I was like, oh, yeah, ghostwriting is a thing, like ghostwriting books. And I could actually do that. I have all this experience writing in other people's voices uh, through the journalism and PR, I know how to ask questions of people. I know how to interview. I know how to draw out what they really want to say or to pinpoint what the point of something is. I know how to do these things. And so I started a ghostwriting company and I just decided I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to call myself a ghostwriter before I'm really a ghostwriter. And I'm going to be open and honest about my experience level and so on but I'm going to start doing it and I started with some small book projects 10,000 word books working with people and I uh, took a business marketing class and I learned how to promote myself how to get slightly bigger projects every time and now I've ghostwritten 14 books and I really enjoy it but as I was doing more and more ghostwriting, I found that my favorite part of the process was helping the authors figure out what they wanted to say. 
and how to say it and what the structure of the book was going to be, even more than the actual writing itself, which sounds kind of crazy for a writer. But I, I loved this kind of discovery process and this detective element of figuring out what it was all about and all of those things and talking to writers. I love getting on calls and talking with people. And that was when I realized that I wanted to shift into book coaching. So with ghostwriting, I was working with people who had something to say, something that they wanted to get out into the world, but they didn't want to do the writing themselves for whatever reason. And now with book coaching, I'm working with people who want to write. They want to do the actual legwork of writing themselves. They're just stuck. They don't know where to start or they're stuck in a rut. They don't know how to do it. They're beating their head against the wall hating the blank screen and they just need some help. They just need someone to work with them and um, I'm able to help them so that they can do the actual writing and feel really proud of it because they know it's good. And do you help with the actual marketing side as well using that marketing background of yours? Actually, no, I don't. I'm pretty clear about what I'm good at and what I can just about pass off. I'm <laughs> marketing, I'm, I know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be great. <laughs> so I do stay in my lane. I'm, I'm really good at writing and planning books and uh, only okay at marketing. So I don't do the marketing side, but you know, you and I are both in the industry. We know a lot of people and I uh, certainly passed pass my clients on to people who can help them. But yeah, that's not, that's not where I should be playing. I'm very clear about that. Um, and so what are some common pitfalls that you see writers, um, I guess, like hit up against? Common pitfalls, good question. Common pitfalls. The first would be a feeling of overwhelm. Like when people say to me, I just can't get started or I don't know where to start, is this feeling of overwhelm, I think, that is creating that block. And the overwhelm is often because we haven't spent enough time in the planning stage. So often we think of writing as sitting at the computer, tapping away or holding the pen in your hand and writing away. But writing actually has three very distinct components there's planning there's writing and there's editing we tend to think of writing as the actual writing but that's the middle component the planning component has to come first and this varies for different people some people love to plan to an extreme degree some people just like to have a vague idea but you got to do something you got to understand what it is you're trying to say with this book why you want to write it who you want to read it why are you even bothering? What the whole, like, why is, what is this, why, why? You don't have to understand why you feel cool to write. A lot of people feel that, including me, feel that cool to write and we don't really know why, but you've got to understand what you want to say, what you want to do with that calling, what you want to do on the page. And when you start to get clear on that, that's when it comes easier to actually start putting things down, writing the words, doing the actual writing. But you've got to put in that thought work first. And sometimes that involves writing, you know, typing things out. Sometimes it's sitting through and talking things out with someone like a book coach or a friend or, some, or somebody who knows about writing so that you can get clear on those things. And that's where the block, so many people just try to push through and it doesn't work and they stay stuck and, they think that it's because they're a bad writer or they're not destined to do this. No, it's just because you've been trying to go to stage two before doing stage one. So that's, that's the number one thing I see coming up for people. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing advice. And I just want to highlight it a little bit because I think the planning stage is always um, the most important. Um, and that's, you're right, you know, like when something doesn't work it's usually because of something before that happens and so I think what so would you go back if you're constantly hitting your head against the wall or doing laundry um you go back would you go back to the the planning stage and and look at that and maybe recraft that a little bit 
Yeah, absolutely. In writing 14 books, every time I've got stuck on a chapter, I've, it's because I've, I'm trying to approach it before I really know what I'm doing with it, what, what the goal is or the structure or something higher level. So I absolutely would recommend that you take a step back, look at it from a broader perspective and think, okay, what am I trying to accomplish in telling this story? Or like, or this small part of this memoir, there's this one incident I want to write about, but I keep getting stuck. Why, why do I want to include this incident in my book? What's the point of telling this incident? Why does it matter? Why do I want somebody to know about this little thing that happened? within the broader context of my memoir. Or if you're writing self-help, you know, why does somebody need to know about this principle that I'm trying to describe? What, how does it fit into the bigger picture? Are you getting stuck on trying to tell them how to apply it? Why do they need to apply it? Where does it fit into the whole process of the, the whatever you're teaching in your self-help book? If you're doing fiction and you come up to a scene and you just can't get the scene to come out, why are you telling this scene? What are you trying to accomplish with it? What does this do for the characters? When you come up and you can usually find something that you haven't quite nailed down yet. And maybe it means that you don't even bother with that scene. You don't actually need it. Or maybe it means that you're trying to tell it from the wrong angle and you need to shift how you talk about it a little bit. Or maybe you realize, oh, I can't talk about this because I haven't talked about that other foundational principle first and I need to add an extra chapter that introduces the foundation before I can talk this stuff can make sense there's something that will come up when you take a step back and start asking these broader questions of why and what's the point and how does this how does this fit in and only once you do that can you can you actually make progress? And it's amazing. Once you answer those questions and once you got it figured out, it'll flow. Like, it will. It happens every time for me. Every All 14 books, I got stuck somewhere along the way. I pulled out, I figured it out. And then once you go back into it, you can keep going. Have you had the same experience? Mm, definitely, yeah. I think um, I'm at a point now, um, you know, this kind of, I, I, know, I knew this advice, but, you know, rehearing it and and kind of, I guess, internalizing it. I'm like, in my, I'm writing this uh, historical fiction book. It's a trilogy and I'm on the last little bit and it's just, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm at that stage where it's just hitting my head up against the wall and I just can't make anything work. So I think, yeah, I, I really need to go <laughs> back and, and look at my overall uh, outline. And I think um, the issue is because I, I rush, you know, I tend to rush through that stage. And so I need to go back. And so, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's great advice. And I think everybody could um, take it away and, and use it for sure. Um, so you mentioned about, you know, I mean, there's a lot that you mentioned there, but I want to take it to like, who should write a book? Uh, is there a book in everybody can everybody tell their life story or is there some um, criteria that you shouldn't meet before you even start writing a book? Oh, I've actually changed my mind about this a bit mm. in recent years. I used to think that, the, that you should write a book if it fit in with your business or life plans, goals, overall structure. I used to think there's no, because writing a book is a big endeavor, takes a lot of time, a lot of energy. I used to think it was only worthwhile doing if you could see how it was going to help your business. So for if you're writing self-help, how it was going to promote your business, or if it was going to fit into your life plan in some way. You want to write your memoir because you want to have a career as an author, for example. But actually, I've shifted this a little bit in the last few years because I've seen how awesome it is for authors to tell their stories, whether it's a fictional story that they want to share or their own life story in a memoir or their, own, uh, their advice and the things they've learned through their business and self-help. It makes such an impact on a person. 
them to go through the process of writing a book of distilling what you've got and putting it on the page and sharing it with the world that even if it doesn't necessarily check all the boxes for making sense for your life goals, it can still be so worthwhile. And that's kind of, that kind of took me by surprise when I first started to see this, I started to see a few people who I was working with who I thought, I'm not sure that this is the best use of your time right now. I'm happy to be here for you if you determine to do it but I'm not sure it's the best way to move your business forward or to spend your free time uh, doing this thing. But they still wanted to do it and they did it. And they were so fulfilled by it. Like the peace that um, almost like a sense of relief of knowing they'd left this part of themselves on a page, whatever happened to them. Next, they've left a part of themselves in this world is pretty impressive to see and I started to realize that that is available to everyone and it depends what you want from from writing a book for some people they definitely want it as a cooling card for their business or they definitely want it because they want to make a career as an author but I've started to kind of soften and see that the fulfillment like yes it's great if you can give all these things to your readers but the process of writing can give so much to yourself that I feel like now if you're cool to do it and willing to put in the work, then you should do it. Well, that's a really cool answer. I've, not, I've asked that to a number of my guests and I, your, your answer is my favorite. We won't tell anybody. Hey. But <laughs> I think that's amazing because for me, writing is very therapeutic. Um, I've always had trouble expressing myself through words. And so whenever that happens, I'm able to, like you said, like leave a piece of myself on the page and able to work out, uh, you know, a bunch of emotions or why this happened or, you know, and, and see like all these, all these themes that kind of rise up to, to the surface. So it's, yeah, I, I agree. It's a pretty cool uh, experience and, and process. Yeah. Um, I think that's true for a lot of people. They have the same experience as you. And, and it's a, such a worthwhile experience. I want to talk t- about your course, because I, be- I believe this memoir course is, is fairly new. Um, can you tell us why you decided to create this and how it's going so far? Yeah, it is pretty new. It's called Write Your Memoir, a step-by-step plan to finally finish your book, even if you've barely started. And I created it because I saw a lot of people who wanted to write their life story. They have been thinking about it forever. They really, truly did want to finally finish the book, but they didn't know either how to start or they'd just written down a few thoughts They perhaps weren't in a position to hire a book coach like myself, Um, you know, my monthly, when I work one-on-one with people, it's really intensive. We go hardcore, we get your book done. That means that, you know, it's not the cheapest thing on earth. So some people aren't in the position to do that. And I still wanted to help them because I, like I said, I was seeing how fulfilling it was for people to write their life stories. And I wanted more people to be able to do that, even if they weren't in a position to hire a book coach right now. And I knew that so much of what I could say would be helpful. So I created this course. It's a bunch of videos and then there's a massive workbook as well, which we go through step by step in each video. And we go through from the very idea, like I've got this idea. I'd love to write about this thing that happened to me. I'd love to write about my experiences with this. So you start with this kind of vague idea and then we break it down into what it really means, the theme. And we look at the structure and how to get a list of chapters, how to do that upfront planning work. And, you know, you can expand or collapse it depending on what feels good to you. But we do set that upfront planning work where we end up with a list of chapters that you're going to write about. And in chapter one, I'm going to talk about this thing that happened to me. In chapter two, I'm going to talk about this and so on so that you can actually start writing and know that you're going to take the reader on a really cool journey um, through your life, through your experiences, something that's going to 
be really powerful to read. And then there's also a lot of um, writing tips and tricks and how to deal with writer's block. And what if your grammar isn't that is kind of rusty? And um, yeah, how what is what does this writing advice mean that you're always here that I don't really know what to do with? So we go through all of that as well. And it was a lot of fun to record. And I remember the first person who signed up for it, she said that she just spent the whole time nodding as she was watching the videos, like, yes, 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 okay, yes. And um, I've had such great feedback on the course. It's been really fun to see people actually making progress on their books. Um, and then they can do it, of course, right now, we're all at home, um, not venturing out into the world as much. So they're able to do it at home online from the, the safety of their own home and use their time to finally finish their book. Does a memoir need a theme? Because I, I'll tell you my take is yes, that there's definitely, you know, any life and it doesn't matter what it is, it has certain the thematic elements that are, you know, good takeaways for, for the, the reader. Do you find that's the case or do you, I'm sure you got um, people who you work with, they're like, no, my, my life's just my life. It just, this is how it happens. It doesn't need a theme. Yeah, interesting. I find that when we start to look at the things people want to talk about in their memoir, so the different events that have happened to them throughout their life, themes inevitably crop up. You may think that it's just a series of stuff that's happened to you or stuff that you've done. But when we I go through an exercise of people where we look at every kind of event that we want to talk about in the book, because, you know, we have this, you know, I want to talk about my life, but within your life, there's that time that I met my husband, that time that my sister fell off, you know, <laughs> the stairs and broke her wrist, you know, there were all these like, little stories within the bigger story. So we look at all the little stories and we say, why do I want to tell someone about this? What What's the point of me sharing this story? Why does it, why do I feel called to tell somebody about this? Oh, because that time that my sister fell off the stairs and broke her wrist. I want to tell people about the point that if you're being an idiot and fooling around, then bad things are going to happen to you because my sister was being an idiot. <laughs> and that sounds kind of frivolous. And you're like, that's not really a very profound theme. It doesn't sound very literary or very good. <laughs> but that's kind of why I want to share the story. It's sort of like a moral tale, right? Mm. So then you've got this, that is, that is, you know, it may not sound very profound, but that is your theme of that little story. And I take people through this exercise where we identify the themes of all of these little stories, even if it's kind of silly. And without fail, we see the same themes coming up over and over again. And it's because as human beings, we tend to, we get taught certain things when we're kids. We have experiences that affect us profoundly at various points in our life and these things come back to us again and again and we see the same things popping up and it's different for different people but the same things affect us throughout our life you know if you had a, a parent who was really tight with money you might find that all your life you've had like a weird relationship with money and you felt grabby or greedy or scared about money and that's come up for you over and over again and at the end of the day, you can choose what you focus on with your writing. It's your writing. You get to decide what you're going to focus on. But when you look at these incidents that you feel cool to write about, you do usually see the same themes coming up over again. And you're like, oh, that's what it's about. Oh, I thought I just wanted to tell a fun series of funny stories about my sister being a klutz. But really, this is about, you know, what does it mean to, be, to have a silly attitude in life and does that always come back to bite you? And that's when we see books actually start to get great. It goes from being just a series of anecdotes that you're telling someone, which is fine, but it transforms from a series of anecdotes into something meaningful, something where people read it and go, oh, where they close the book at the end and they have like a, something that lasts with them afterwards. That's when books really start to get good. That's awesome. 
so I'm going to close off with this question. And this is a question I like to ask. And feel free to uh, have more than one answer because most people can't narrow this down to one, one book. But I like to, to ask, what is your favorite book? Or what is a book that you like to gift often? So funny you introduced the question that way because you told me in advance you were going to ask this. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there's so many books. For a long time, I did have a couple of favorite books. Um, Lord of the Flies by William Goldberg was one of them. Um, uh, Ridley Walker by Russell. Sorry, I'm looking at my bookshelf. <laughs> Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban was one of them. Um, and you know what? I read Lord of the Flies so many times as a teenager. I came back to it in my early 30s. It had probably been a decade. I was still calling it one of my favorite books, and I read it, and I was like, really, Liz, really? <laughs> this is what you've been raving about? <laughs> so I, I guess I go through phases, like mm. everyone, things that resonate for you at a particular time of life. Um, one of my perennial favorites is the Harry Potter series. Um, maybe because I'm still a big kid at heart but I think it's really because um, that was what brought me back to fiction mm. so I read the Harry Potter series when I was in my mid uh, my late 20s and I hadn't been reading any fiction in those years when I was working in public relations when I was this was before I got into ghostwriting and I just kind of abandoned it and fallen by the wayside. I was skiing, partying, <laughs> doing my thing. <laughs> and my cousin said to me, you have to read this kid's book. I know it's a kid's book. I know it's a kid's book, but you got to read it. I was like, come on, Beth. Like, it's for like 11-year-olds. Come on. <laughs> She's like, you got to read it. Just give it a chance. So I did. And it reminded, those books reminded me of, what it feels like to be completely transported out of your world when you're stuck in a crappy job and you open the uh, the pages of a book and you're in suddenly this wondrous place and it can completely take you out of something and I was in a crappy job and I wanted to escape and I read the next book and the next book and the next book and then I took the sorting quiz and found out I'm a Gryffindor and then I got a Gryffindor mug and I watched all the movies and I still love the Harry Potter books. I still listen to 15 minutes of a Harry Potter audiobook every night before bed because it's a little escape. It's like, com it's like a comfort blanket for me. <laughs> it's just a little happy, whatever's going on in the day, you can turn on 15 minutes and be in a magical place with death and destruction sometimes. But <laughs> you can escape for 15 minutes. And you know, my life is good now. I love my life. But it's so fun to go somewhere else for a few minutes. And so I will always love those books because they brought me back to the wonder of fiction. Yeah, while well, we're talking about theme, it really is about how to escape like a very ordinary life into something mm -hmm. magical and something special. So yes, those are very great books. Well, Liz, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate your time. For listeners who want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at greengoosewriting.com so like we said that's green like the color goose like the bird writing.com and if you want to check out the uh, memoir course it's greengoosewriting.com slash memoir and you can have a look at that and there's a contact form on that website shoot me any messages you want to uh, any questions you want to ask me I'm always happy to talk all things books so I'd love to chat thank you very much thanks Joe. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.